0: This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 19, and the quote of the day is from Dave Grohl, who said, if you're passionate, driven, and focused, you can do anything you want to do. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ruffini, and we're coming at you with information, education, and motivation for drumming and Beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Rafini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And I got a great interview today. Got John Robinson, who is the most recorded drummer of all time. Uh, Just met John recently at the NAMM conference in January. And he was uh, super into doing the interview. So we got him here today. For those of you who don't know who John is, you should definitely look up his credits. I mean, he's played with everybody from from uh, Michael Jackson's Off The Wall record to the latest Daft Punk record and everything in between. He mentions in the interview that he has over 300 million units sold. So he's definitely been around the block a few times. Uh, he went to Berkeley. He's originally from Ohio, but he moved to... to uh, went to Berkeley and then, and then relocated out to the Los Angeles area. And like I said, he is the most recorded drummer of all time. He's played with everybody. So... You definitely should heed his advice, listen to what he has to say, and uh, yeah, you might even want to take some notes on this one. And before we get into it, I want to thank everybody for the positive feedback and reviews and ratings that you've been throwing up on the iTunes page for the podcast. I really, really do appreciate it. And if you know some friends that you think would dig this podcast, uh, just shoot them the link and and share it with them, and I would I would love you for that. And uh, yeah, this interview is is... It's it's pretty amazing. He's uh John's such a such a down to earth and and humble guy and willing to share a ton of information. So uh, sit back, relax, maybe pour yourself a cup of coffee, and dig into this interview. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll talk to you afterwards. John, thank you so much for joining us today. It's really a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Nick, it's my honor uh, to uh, to uh, talk to the world, and um, of course, uh, drummers rule the world. So hello, my fellow drummers.
0: <laughs> we do rule the world. <laughs> I don't no, think I don't to. know if anybody else knows that, but
1: uh, well, of course they, they don't. <laughs> now they do. But <laughs> so that's why you know we hit things and uh, and do it. You know,
0: absolutely. So you're um, you're in the LA area now, right? War- warm and yeah. sunny.
1: Yeah. Well, it's uh, it's a little cooler than it was, but I'm I'm told it's a lot warmer than when you are. So yeah, I'm, I'm about in, uh, in the thousand Oaks area.
0: Oh, okay, great. So are you mostly in LA, or do you do? Um, I know that you tour, but do you, would you say you do more studio work now or more touring work?
1: Um, uh, studio. studio. always Studio.
0: Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I know a lot of people always wonder how they can get into that sort of thing. And before we dive into, into that topic, I always like to get the backstory of how people got started drumming. So how did you get into it?
1: Well, you know, I was... You know, I came from a town in southwest Iowa, kind of north of uh, Kansas City, called Creston, Iowa. And my uh, dad was an optometrist, and mother was a housewife, and um, he started me... I mean, he was always very musical, and she was always listening to big band records. So I think it kind of rubbed off. I started playing piano when I was around five, and uh, he was kind of a bit of a tyrant with my piano lessons. And I, quite frankly as much as I loved piano, didn't, (laughs) didn't dig it. Right. And, you know, started listening to big band records with my mom and, and she, um, kind of taught me about swing and groove and, and, and some famous drummers and, you know, just kept doing it. And, and uh, pretty soon I kind of got hit by the, the drum bug between age seven and eight.
0: Nice. So once you, once you hit seven or eight and you got this drum bug, where did you go from there? Did you take private lessons or did you, did you start learning stuff on your own or?
1: um it it was still you know being only eight years old uh and and in a small town of eight thousand people there weren't any teachers so i just kind of played and then i was introduced to this guitar player and we started a little band uh when i was 10 and and it was just a duo and we started opening up for high school rock bands so and, and kind of at that point um I was trying to get lessons with a guy named Jim Coffin. He used to work for Yamaha, and he was the head music instructor at the University of Northern Iowa. But mm-hmm. it was so far north, it was like almost 300 miles, and uh, we just couldn't justify driving up there for the lessons. Right. So that never did come to pass. Hmm. Uh, and then I started you know, doing your normal thing with, with, my, with my rock band, added a third member, uh, started playing in the big bands, uh, and then uh, when I got into junior high, I started playing with my, all my teachers and all the adults. So I started learning you know, music concepts, song concepts, uh, what, what, you know, to me what drumming is about and kind of how it's manifested itself into what I do today. Mm. It's all about songs. And I started going on the road with these guys uh, in junior high. And it would be funny, all the way through junior high and high school, I'd be starting on the basketball team. And then they'd wait and pick me up, and then we'd go do a gig somewhere. <laughs> so I was always juggling between basketball and drumming. That's and, awesome. Uh, <laughs> you know, and then I started going to all the jazz camps, national stage band camps, and you know, I met um, Ed Sof uh, at Illinois State University, and, you know, incredible uh, moment in my life, and he basically changed my life with my style.
0: So. Right. So then after that, um, after high school, you went on to Berkeley, right?
1: That is correct, and uh, it was through his recommendation. I he I, I had done two camps with him, and he I said, "Listen, this, what do you think? What do you think? Where should I go? You know, I'll go down the North Texas State because it's just down I thirty five, right? You know, in northern Texas, I could I could be back for the holidays back in Iowa, and you know, see the family and blah blah blah." He goes, "No, I think you should go to Berkeley," mm-hmm. and and uh, and and he was right because Berkeley had a lot. Kipper, even back in the early '70s, I went in '73 through 5, and uh, you know, we it was like you know, like really hip small group stuff. It was very Miles Davis oriented. It was very Jimi Hendrix oriented. It was, uh, and it also had a very cool big band vibe. It wasn't the traditional big band, so it was intriguing to me because it was all new territory. So I, I went to Boston right after high school. Hmm.
0: Now, at what point did you realize that this is what you wanted to do for a career?
1: Uh, when I was uh, probably around 10 years old.
0: And that was it? Just no no plan B, just I'm going to play drums and and that's it?
1: There was never a plan B. Um, my, one of my uh, band directors always said, well, you know, make sure you get your degree so you can fall back and teach. You know, I'm sure everybody's heard that. Right. And I said, you know, um, yeah, okay, we'll talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there was this uh, running joke: uh, anybody that had gone to Berkeley, mm-hmm. if they ever graduated, they
0: were losers. You know, it's funny that you say that because I was going to ask you if you graduated. Because most people that I talk to go to Berkeley, or most—I shouldn't say that—most people that that created a successful career out of playing didn't graduate.
1: Well, and I, I unfortunately—I mean, for, I'm sorry, not unfortunately. um, Fortunately, I know several people that have graduated that are unbelievably successful musicians right. and and mentors
2: but
0: mm-hmm.
1: it generally uh, in those days when we were
0: there and I didn't mean that in, a, in you know in a derogatory way it just seemed that everyone i have talked to that has already been successful you know they're saying, oh no, I left Berkeley a year early or something like that
1: well definitely i mean i I got out in my um say <laughs> I got out of prison in my um, <laughs> um um let's see my i was in the uh, like entering my sixth semester. Okay. And uh, it was, uh, and I was the last drummer. Uh, honestly, I, all the other cats were gone uh, in, in my particular class. And uh, I go, shit, I don't want to be the last drummer.
0: <laughs> right. So, right. I got to uh, get you know, out of
1: here. I got to go. And so I joined a couple of bands.
0: Applied and, for uh, parole. and uh, Exactly. <laughs> so do you think that it's, do you think the reason that most of the people leave before they graduate is because they're getting pulled in so many different directions that it just makes sense for them to, to leave?
1: I think that everybody gets anxious, especially when you're being thrust into all this new, um, um, you know, I, I don't care what generation you went to Berkeley or whatever college you're going to, uh, everybody wants to go out and apply right. and, uh, and, and to make a statement. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, you know, I was, I was definitely that guy too. I wanted to, I wanted to go out and, and, uh, show what everybody, you know, what I could do and. Get into a band and and um, you know just just kind of power on, man. There was mm-hmm. so much excitement going on in the mid seventies. Yeah, 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 I mean it was just you know we had Cobham doing his thing and we had this amazing rock thing happening and um, and you know experimentation on records that you know obviously today you can't get away with unless you're Daft Punk or once in a lifetime. Right. So uh, it was just a very cool vibe. You know he had miles getting into this electronica stuff and
2: mm-hmm. it
1: was it was exciting for us, so that was kind of it. I had to go yeah, you yeah, had to go
0: now comparatively speaking, do you think that did you enjoy the the stuff then more than you do now, or do you do you enjoy it just in a different way?
1: stuff meaning what
0: the music wise like the stuff that I, you were recording, you know, then or working on then or playing then, versus the stuff that you're playing and working. Well, oh,
1: I now. think it's a you know it's a growth process. You know, I, I, thank God I've been playing drums for over fifty one years, and um, you know I, I still I still learn things every day. And in fact, right before you called, guess what I was doing?
0: Learning something.
1: I, well, yeah, I was learning how old lugs go on a forty two inch a forty two leady drum set. Nice. I I my old roadie bear from the old old Rufus days uh, he's retired now he's been holding a 1942 28 inch leady set for me for years for 25 years and I finally got it out here it's got calfskin heads on it and, and, uh, and so I was just like you know I, my original set was a 40 Ludwig and I go wow it had these weird lugs and so I just mm-hmm. I got them all I just got the drum set up and running it sounds amazing so nice. that's, what I, that's what I was doing
0: so are you a gearhead?
1: uh I've gotten rid of a lot of it. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and inclusive of electronics too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Studio oriented. Studio so,
0: okay. gear. Right. Right. So you were saying about you know being at Berkeley and and but at, even at a young age saying that you were going to do this as a career. So what is your what would your advice be for people that want to make a career out of this and say they're either in college or out of college or you know or even younger than that and they say I want to make a career. In music and how can I how can I go about doing it
1: well you know when I do drum clinics I always see these you know these teenage drummers they go yeah I want to be a I want to be a drum in a rock band you know sure that's been everybody's fantasy all the time right um, ever since the Beatles landed but uh-huh. um uh, I you know I ask them several questions I go first of all are you trained can you read do you understand piano uh, guitar any sort of a melodical instrument um, have you gotten any sort of theory training? You've been to a church? Do you sing in church? You know things that you can apply. And a lot of these guys don't have none of that. And I said, well, you know what? To go forward, it's not all about the garage band. Right. You, know, you have you have to go forward. You have to actually get training. And uh, you know that's. And then I hear stories about the guy who's 50 who his wife made him quit playing drums, and but he kept his drums in the garage, and he's finally dusted them off to play again. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of happy for the guy. So, you know, to me, those are both sad situations of non-accomplishment. Mm-hmm. But um, to tell a young, a young person, he has to totally believe it in his heart and soul. And, you know, you want to go go full forward. you just can't go uh, half speed, right you got to go full speed and you need to absorb and you need to let your ego not rule any sort of emotions because you're going to come up with a guy. you're gonna meet some guy at school that's going to just kick your ass right And uh, however, he may not be the right guy for the gig.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, you need to like learn and, and be acceptable. And, and try to figure out where your niche is. And as drummers, you know, we're basically very important to everybody, but sometimes they want us in the background all the time. But, you know, I always look at us as, as the leaders. We are the leaders. Mm-hmm. And, and um, you know, it's not that crazy guy swinging a mic up in the front. Right. Right. Um, you know, we're still, we're going to be, we were here from the beginning, we'll be here at the end. Mm-hmm.
2: So mm-hmm.
1: I would just say to these guys is to have a, have a game plan and if it veers a little bit, so be it. Right. And I also, you know, for sing, you know, young drummers, I would suggest stay single because if you're if a drummer, your first wife is your drum set.
0: Right. <laughs> that makes sense. There yeah, was I, a, I, um, I know that for a fact. Yeah. 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 <laughs> One of the, uh, one of the users on the site asked, um, you know, f- for professionals like you, did you, is it, was it a matter of finding yourself in the right place or putting yourself in the right place when you got some of these gigs?
1: Interesting. Um, I would think finding,
2: mm-hmm. I,
1: I, I've been truly blessed and, and, um, you know, I mean, like the Rufus and Shaka Khan break, that happened way the hell out of the blue. No, I, I didn't see that coming. Right. And, and, and ironically, I had known their music being in Boston because I played in a Rufus Chaka kind of cover band, and it was like, you know, when they were kind of a cult band before they even hit, and it was just ironic that I joined that. Uh, and they, It just happened, and right. there it was. I was, and I lived in L.A., so um, which led me to Quincy Jones. Mm -hmm. So I was was at the right place at the right time. And, of course, you know, my choice and taste in music also leads you down that path. Right. You know, if if you want to sit and listen to, let's just say, for conversation's sake, Pat Metheny. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: All you do is listen to Pat Metheny. You know, your chances are your style is going to be indicative of Pat Metheny's style, and you're going to play... That way, most of the time. Right. Well, you know, I always try to have drummers listen to everything, even even to classical and and to, you know, um, uh, any sort of any sort of music that would trigger their inner soul. Mm-hmm. And, and um, if that makes any sense,
0: mm-hmm. absolutely. And you would mention being you know being at the right place at the right time. And I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but if you, I'm thinking that you know if you weren't prepared even though you were there, if you weren't prepared to play that gig, you would have never got the gig. So it's like that is cor- all the that preparation you did correct. beforehand.
1: That, I mean, that is correct. I, I remember even way before that, I was subbing in Boston for a drummer named Joe Hunt, who mm-hmm. was from Philadelphia. He was kind of like a white Elvin Jones, one of the teachers at Berkeley, just a phenomenal, phenomenal drummer. And I was a sub, and I was playing with a, a lady named Lynn Stewart, who was Chick Corea's uh, cousin. Okay. She was a pianist, a vocalist, and you know, like a lounge uh, jazz thing. So I did a couple of gigs with her, and and one night Chick came in, and I was like, you know, you get starstruck, right? Especially when you're 18, yeah. 19, and and I go, I always wanted to play with Chick, you know, because I was like into Return to Forever and Stanley and this really heavy fusion rock jazz thing that was uh, that was coming out, and. Mm-hmm. And I went up to Chick, and I go, you know, one one day I'm going to play with you. And he looked at me, and he goes, and he goes, one day you will. And that's all he said. And of course, I don't think I ever played with Chick. I mean, maybe once over at Mad Hatter doing somebody else's record, right? But uh, I, I was not the drummer for Chick. And, right. Uh, it was just kind of an interesting story. <laughs> I, I don't know if that tied tied into your question.
0: No, and I think it does. You know, even all the preparation that goes into it. Even, you know, you could be the baddest cat on the block, but if you're not right for the gig, you're not right for the gig. It doesn't matter how good you are.
1: You well, and, and, and to talk, uh, it was in a, a, basically it was a glorious and a sad day at the same time. When, when Rufus came in with Shaka, uh, she came on stage later that night, and they ended up on the stage with me and my band, and then my whole band left, and it was just Rufus, me, and Shaka. And we did the whole night and then I stayed up with the guys all night and at 6 a.m. and I went to sleep and, and then they go, do you want to come to our sound check the next day? And I go, I would love to. And, and that's when I knew I had the horse. Right. And uh, so I went and sat in on the drummer's drums and I felt really bad for him because he kind of um, kind of disappeared behind the speakers. Right. And they pulled out a song which was a samba from a, the old Ask Rufus record that Hawk had written and And I knew it intimately and nailed it. And everybody's just looking around like going, holy shit, and uh, finished it. And then I go, I got to go because I got to go to my gig. And they're they're getting ready to go on stage. And they go, do you want to join the band? And right then I just, you know, it's that.
0: Wait, they hired you on the spot? On the spot. What did they do with the other drummer?
1: They'll go, we'll fire him later.
0: Oh, my God.
1: You know, I'm sure this is not the only band that did that.
0: Right, right.
1: And uh, That's you know, nuts, this is, though. This is 78. And, and listen, as a drummer, as a, a young coming up kind of guy, and, and speaking to the young people that will be listening to this, A, do you feel sorry and, and, and not play that well and lose the gig? Or B, do you go in there guns blazing and take the gig?
0: And the answer is B.
1: Absolutely, it's B. Yeah. And, um, you
0: Now, know, do you think it, that that's, sorry, go ahead. Were you going to say something? No, like? well, no
1: that's, that's basically it.
0: Now, what about if you're sitting in on someone else's gig?
1: Um,
0: say, say, well, say, I, I, say
1: somebody say. I used to do that with Toto in the old days. Mm-hmm. Jeff and I were, you know, obviously very close. And he'd let me sit in on some gigs. It's like, what you know, well, oh, this is great. Right. No no, you don't, you don't go take the guy's gig.
0: Right. Right. But in that uh, but in the other cuz I think that's more of a camaraderie friendship kind of thing where it's like, "Hey man, come on, we're friends, come on up and and sit in. I'd love to have you."
1: Absolutely. I I have heard non-drummer stories about I'm not even going to say what instrument of certain players. Guitar? That, uh no. Oh okay. <laughs> you can just keep guessing and I'm not going to answer you. But I <laughs> But I, I will I will say that it does look like a guitar, right? <laughs> and let's just leave it at that. That uh, certain <laughs> people have specifically targeted uh, gigs, but uh, we'll, we're we're speaking about drummers
2: now, right, so right.
0: let's let that go. <laughs> so after the uh, the Rufus thing, uh, you know, doing uh, with Chaka and Rufus, and then you ended up in LA, and you said you you met up with with Quincy. Yes. Um, and so you got to play on the off the wall record, yes. And when that when that how does that call come in? Is that just like
1: it was wild? Well, yeah. First of all, you um, know we, we have to backtrack a year. Uh, I moved to LA Mar- May of '78, and that was a huge influx of players moved to Los Angeles exactly at the same time. Mm-hmm. Everybody did. I mean, and a lot of us Berkeley guys. All I mean. Stewenhaus did, and Vinny did. Came later, and all of us came out. I mean, there's horn players, and it was just kind of weird. It was just time to go. I think Boston's club scene had dried up, and and uh, we were we were doing that. But so I came out and joined the band, and um, um we went right directly into a record without Shaka on ABC Dunhill,
2: mm-hmm. called
1: Numbers, and it was a great record. It was, of course, it was my first. Legit record that I'd ever done, and um, sorry, I'm opening up a gate here.
0: That's right.
1: And uh, I, you know, I had a connection with Freddie Hubbard, so I brought, brought Freddie in on a on one song, and and it was a cool record. And it was we got to work with the great Roy Halley from uh, Blood Sweat and Tears, mm-hmm. engineer producer, and from New York. And I learned a whole bunch about all sorts of things. Mike sound level, uh, I was playing too hard. Um, different things like that but then our management said we're going to um, we're going to get back with Shaka and do a record because Shaka wanted to do solo records at that point and uh, Quincy Jones is going to produce and I go this is so great <laughs> because I, you know I tried as a kid to get into Quincy Jones jazz camps because he he had them also and I could not never get in it was just because of my schedule right and so, I was introduced to him at uh, an event in down at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in downtown Los Angeles, and we sat together and he always liked it was kind of like that buddy rich scenario where buddy would always go to Berkeley and grab berkeley horn players right Quincy, you know went to Berkeley or Schillinger house in those days and um always liked Berkeley musicians i mean he always did so um uh, we talked and stuff, and and you know, Harvey Mason was king in L. A. at that time, recording, mm-hmm. and um, kind of it kind of came to pass where you know he was re- he was uh, producing Rufus and Shaka way before Michael Jackson, so he was basically coming out of the Brothers Johnson in this pop rock R and B world, and then going into us before he went to Michael Jackson. And right. went you know you know pop R&B, so he had a chance to listen to my solo or, or the Rufus solo record. That was actually a calling card for me, to you know so because the management goes well you don't have to use John if you don't want to, uh, you know you can hire Harvey or whoever you want to hire some studio drummer because right. I wasn't considered a studio drummer at that time, and he he goes no no I really like the way he plays,
2: hmm. and
1: plus I knew that he knew I had gone to Berkeley so and studied with Alan Dawson and all these things so. I, I got. I got. A, Ed Ed Eckstein, his uh, assistant, called me. And says Quincy wants to know what you're doing on Thursday, and I said nothing. Can you come down and overdub on this Michael Jackson records? I said okay. So <laughs> we didn't even have a cartridge <clears throat> company. So right. my my roadie Bear, we uh, lassoed up a my Gretsch set, and he had a, like a '64 telephone truck, and threw them all in there and drove down to. Uh, it was a studio called Alan Zentz at that time. And went in and I overdubbed on uh, Paul McCartney's Girlfriend. And mm-hmm. then it's The Falling in Love by Carol Bayer Sager and David Foster. Both i always consider those B-sides. And, uh, yeah, for young kids, there used to be two sides to a record.
0: <laughs> there used to be records first. Then. <laughs> yeah,
1: there used to be records. Hey, there's still records in my house.
0: No, I, I, love, <laughs> I love
1: records. Um, and they sound better anyway. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. So... So I did that, and I could see them. I'm out by myself, you know, lonely John sitting on the drums, watching them talk. And I, the talk that comes down, and they go. Quincy goes, "What are you doing on Monday?"
0: <laughs>
1: so I go, "Nothing." He goes, "Why don't you come back and uh, let's record the rest of the album?" I go,
0: "Yes." You know? Awesome.
1: So that's when I came in on Monday and met Greg Philandains, and we cut "Don't Stop Teagan Enough," and we knew we had a number one record right out of the gates at that point. So. Right. And at that point, then everything just started accelerating. Uh, and then he called Rufus. It was Bobby and uh, Hawk and myself to cut rock with you. Excuse me. So, so that was kind of a uh, everything just started soaring at that point.
0: Right. So, um, I was talking to uh, my buddy Carmen and Tori today. He plays with uh, he plays drums for Pat Martino, and uh, and we were talking about. I told him that I'd be talking to you today, and he wanted to know about the the rock you groove. Um, the rock
1: with you, the intro or the whole groove?
0: The groove Well, you want to know one. Are you playing it one-handed?
1: Uh, no, it's two. Yeah, the rock with you is two-handed.
0: Is it two-handed? Okay, because he was yeah. like, ask him how he came up with that groove and and how or if he's playing it with one hand or two.
1: First of all, I remember watching Jeff play mm-hmm. one one-handed sixteenth notes, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking, and I used to do that in the old old days because the the nature of the music that we were covering or, you know, playing was one-handed 16th notes. Right. And uh, I finally got – I started changing that and making it two-handed because it's easier to do. Right. So so it created my own style to I do got that. It. And, uh, you know, there's obviously 16th notes on that, and then there's 8th notes in the, in the verse. Mm-hmm. So that's what I did.
0: I got you. So how would – how do you – how did you practice – really refining your playing and 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 coming up with these intricate grooves because I know it's one thing to just, you know, to just sit down and play, but but to come up with things that are really heavily groove oriented, because it's kind of like that intangible. You know, I was talking to James Gatson about about his feel and and his sound and and what's right for the song and then, you know, talking to Ndugu and all these other people how how would you suggest people practice that to really refine their playing to to groove heavier
1: well that's an interesting thing i mean you know i, I mean I, like i don't know if you know the, i'm starting to get seasoned in my life you know so mm-hmm. to to say i practice these things is i'm not doing that what what i kind of use is uh, my my spontaneity and my and my brain power to manifest some sort of an interesting thing. So when I go into a session, I mean, you know, obviously I've practiced and played so much in my life that I have, I I would assume it's probably comparable to, let's let's use a completely different analogy here. Rodney Dangerfield Mm -hmm. had compartments in his brain that he could go in and grab a particular joke from. That had something to do with some subject matter well I mean I would assume I'm the same way where I can if I'm playing a certain kind of song I'm gonna go in and grab a feel Mm -hmm. and and then put it in my real-time folder and play it right I don't know if that makes sense or not it
0: does it does
1: yeah you know because we've been doing this so long like you know, like if I'm doing a Strauss and orchestral, 65-piece orchestra, I know what to pull out and you know what what to do in front of 50,000 people with a brush part, right? Or or the, I know how to take over the band because you know with my cymbals uh, and making them you know making this whole statement. Or or if it's some sort of a uh, rhythmical bass part, I know how not to play busy. But you have to give this give the song the the points of of what's gonna uh, be good in the final run there.
0: So
2: mm-hmm.
1: I don't know if that answers part of that.
0: It does. It does. I, I was thinking of the of that uh <clears throat> excuse me, that Jeff Ricardo video when he's talking about how he'll take the groove and he kind of like weaves the groove through the song.
2: Right. You exactly.
0: Know, r- versus you know, other drummers that you hear, maybe maybe less seasoned players that just kind of play at the song rather than weaving through it. And, you know, I think that, that that's a little hard for people to kind of grasp the concept of and say, okay, how do I really work on that? How do I how do I make my playing more musical rather than just, you know, playing you know, this playing a quote unquote beat.
1: Well and and, and let's just I'm gonna get a little uh devious here certain styles of music lend it lend itself to to me girls dancing. Right. And I'm not gonna exclude guys but nor do I really want to talk about guys. So
0: <laughs> me neither. Uh, we'll just keep it we'll just keep it with the yeah, girls. That's fine.
1: I've always had this propensity of of you know, my right foot is a very strong foot and and the music I play has to me continuations of girls dancing from left to right. Right. Even look, looking from behind. So, you know, hence the word swing. If you've ever watched a girl walk, mm-hmm. it's it's actually quarter note dotted 816th. <laughs> <laughs> if you watch a girl walk, it's boom. Da da da, 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 right, left, right, left. If you ever watch it, well, watch it. Because I don't watch guys, but All I'm right. telling you, when you see a girl walk, I don't care what she looks like. That's what she does. And each girl has got her own little swing. Well, you know, I've noticed that, and kind of you add that into your, your concept, and there's definitely an arc of, of tempo, mm-hmm. and it can be uh, corralled into some sort of a groove. Right. I don't care what it is. So my I've always wanted people to dance when I play drums. Right. That's kind of been my my mo. I, I, that's something about it, you know. It's I don't think people dance enough, quite frankly.
0: I totally agree. Keep them dancing.
1: Just keep them dancing. Oh, I mean, we we got a brand new single that just came out today by DJ Cassidy. It's called "Calling All Hearts." Nice like young this. New York man. Uh, he's one of the, probably the world's most famous DJ. Are you hip to this guy?
0: I'm not, but
1: it's if you. Type it in. It's literally released today. Awesome. It's 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 me and Earth Wind and Fire.
0: What? And now
1: and now Rodgers. Yeah. And I did about seven tunes on this new record. It's on Columbia. And I don't know when the record's dropping, but I know the single just dropped because I literally downloaded it right right when you started recording.
0: Man, if that's the kind of if that's the kind of stuff that he's doing though, I
1: want to. Wait wait till you hear this thing. It's I mean you can do it while you're doing. It's called Calling All Hearts, and it's just whoa, fantastic. Fantastic. Can you hear this? I cannot.
0: Oh, sorry. Could you hear that? You
1: found, you found it, eh?
0: Yeah, yeah, it came
1: through. See? From... All right, so, yeah, pump that baby. And, and it's, a, you know, it's one of, one of your New York boys. He's I love him. He's a great cat, man.
0: Man, <laughs> does he need a drummer?
1: <laughs> <laughs> he, he might. I'm going to, uh, once he starts uh, doing his thing, I think I'm going to go. Oh,
0: pump, hold up, on. Can- I can't.
1: I'm going to go parent the uh, the band for a second. I think.
0: Say that again. I, you cut I, out for a second.
1: I said once. Once he does gear up his situation, I think I'm going to fly out and kind of a tutorial the band.
0: Are you going to play with them?
1: Uh, I may play a little bit, but I I I think he wants to have young guys, so I'm going to go out and teach. I think. And just, awesome. you know, and show all the cats the parts.
0: Hey, if he want if he's holding rehearsals, man, I'll uh, I'll I'll, I'll uh, rehe- or I'll uh, audition. I mean. I will let you know that'd be awesome. Um, so where we oh, so we were talking about some some studio things um, and I had a, a question from somebody on the site, Patrice, who was asking, how do you select your symbols? Is that typically a personal preference or is it more of the what the producer wants
1: no, it's personal preference. I mean I, you know I'm a, I've always been just a symbol. You know, I, I get reprimanded for using the word symbol horror because mm-hmm. that makes it sound bad. So right. I guess I'm a symbol guru. Right. You know, I've always been that way ever since I was a little teeny boy with that with that 1940 Ludwig set with these little old shitty Zildjian symbols I had from the 40s. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going through and becoming a, a major Zildjian artist and, uh, you know, helping with development stuff. And then I, you know, once I left Zildjian, I went to Peisty which has been uh, almost uh, nine years mm-hmm. uh, I've been on the forefront of, of developing um, all sorts of products there because they they have a completely different scene than the, than the X company did yeah and, and uh, they have a complete it's just the whole concept of their symbol making is different. and uh, once they make a final symbol, it's um, it's recipe, almost like it's blueprinted and it's Almost impossible not to duplicate it, whereas the other symbol companies, each symbol, they can't, they can't be the same. Well, Pisces is almost identical. Right. So I, de- I developed a J.R. Ride symbol about three and a half years ago mm-hmm. w- with sound development, and it's kind of, it's just, it's, it's a big boy, but it also has a beautiful, uh, soft tone. So, like, let me give you an example. Tomorrow, I'm starting Bette Midler. Okay. We're doing a record with Bette Midler, and I don't know when the last record she's done. Uh, and we, the, the first couple of days, I'm bringing in a jazz 18-inch uh, jazz set. So I'm going to probably start with uh, the new 602 line, mm-hmm. inclusive of a 20-inch uh, 602 flat ride.
0: Is that the Vinnie line or no?
1: Well, you could say it's the Vinnie line. It's, right. Vinnie. it's not Vinnie's line.
0: Well, I know that, but the the you know the yeah, one.
1: he is using those right. Except he's not using this 20-inch flat. No. <laughs> this thing is, this was made for me before the 602 line came out. And awesome. I got it. Oh, it sounds like that ECM vibe. Yeah, yeah, It's like, oh, when you, when you mic this thing, it's just so nice. And I've always been kind of a flat ride nut. So, so I'm going to start with that, but I may switch over and go to a Dark Energy 13-inch hats for that, though instead of blending in the uh, S602 hats, which I think might be a little bulky for this particular music we're doing. Mm-hmm. And then and then what I'll do is I, I'm, I have a second kit, which will be my DW 24-inch, uh, I'll use Maple, and that'll go into the more of the pop rock stuff that we're going to do on this on the back half of the record. Hmm. So then let's, backing up, I just finished a record last week on Concord, and... Um, uh, it's with Al Jarreau, a tribute to the late George Duke. Awesome. And I, you know, I used to play with George a lot and I was in Clark Duke for the first two records and Stan, uh, see, uh, Stanley produced the first five tunes and then Marcus Miller produced the last four or five. Mm-hmm. And I, and I got to be the common denominator for both sides, which is really cool. You know, sometimes they will yeah. switch up drummers. I got to do both. So Patrice was on the first sessions and, uh, it was just great. So, I um I switched up a lot on, on the symbols uh, there. So, but normally I start with my A setup. Is I right. guess the answer, the answer to this question.
0: So, now you know you're the you've been recorded more than any other drummer out there, and so when you're going into these recording sessions now, um, after you've been doing it so long, is it is it just business or is it you know is all the excitement still there like it was thirty years ago?
1: Oh, no, it's, I think it's, you you know, our our industry went down about, I don't know, five years ago, Mm -hmm. it went down pretty hard, and, um, you know, a lot of cats weren't working, and I'm sure that was global. Right. You know, I even heard the stories of the, you know, I'm not that, not going to bag on my Nashville brothers, but um, even I heard they suffered a bit. Right. But uh, you know, I, I think that when we come in and do a do a session, everything is just very exciting, and and uh, I think everybody's bringing their collective A game. And 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 I just did a record with the great Mike Oldfeld. Do you remember who he is? I don't. He did a. He was famous for um, this conceptual rock music called Tubular Bells, mm-hmm. which I believe was the theme to The Exorcist. Really. And. And he he did a famous 70s English guitar player, singer. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've done a bunch of work for him, including last year's, or two years ago, Summer Olympics I did, and um, a whole bunch of stuff. But we just finished a record with him, uh, and he was in the Bahamas, and there's a single out on that, and um, it's it's called Sailing. And it's just, it's going to take off also, but it's like a pure rock record. You know, not heavy metal and, you know, I'm going to play as fast as I can with my feet. Right. It's just this beautiful music. Hmm. So, yeah, everybody gets excited. Everybody gets excited and and, uh, wants to come play.
0: Right, right, right. So how many records have you played on?
1: Oh, (laughs) jeez. Well, you know, I just moved into my new house and I got my studio set up, so I've done 15 records already out of here. Yikes. In four months. Wow. I just had the great Melissa Manchester here. That's awesome. And we just did, um, you know, God bless how uh, David passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just did his last lyric. Hmm. And so that's a, it was a really nice, I Had Abraham Laborel senior playing. And yeah. so I'm, you know, I, I, I kind of do, I don't know those numbers by the right. way. And you know, if, if there's some young genius, Norwegian kid that keeps track of this stuff, <laughs> um, it would be great to have him even figure out what Chinese records I've done. Right. You know, there's all sorts of ethnic records. You know, from any from south of the border all the way down to to uh, Australia. I, I don't have logs of those.
0: Right. If you had to put were... a number on it, what would you say?
1: Oh, jeez. You mean you mean single like songs?
0: Yeah. Just or just records in general.
1: I don't know. It's got to be. It's got to be multi thousands.
0: Yeah. That's and amazing. I'm
1: sure I'm I'm over uh, you know probably close to 300 million units sold.
0: Jeez. It's amazing. Of course, you know
1: drummer, drummers get shit. You know we don't get anything. Right. We just keep getting. Well, you know what we get we get the next call.
0: Right. It keeps the calls coming in. Yeah, it
1: keeps
0: the calls coming in. Well, we I, we um I live right around or my my studio is right around. Um, there's a guy Dylan Wissing. He did some work with on the last Alicia Keys record, and he just won a Grammy, and. You know, we were talking about the Grammy Award. He's like, yeah, they get the statue. He's like, you get this little, you know, certificate in the mail.
1: Right. Well, you know, it's just like this Daft Punk record I did. You know, I played on seven songs on that record. Right. And uh, they, the manager goes, hey, what's your address? We're going to send you something. I, go, I, I know what they're going to send me. Right. It's, gonna be a piece of, it's either going to be a piece of paper or it's going to be that book or both. Right. You know, and I've, I don't know how many Grammy songs. I probably played on over 50. Mm-hmm. in my life but i've won one
0: like got the statue
1: i've got it as rufus and shaka khan ain't nobody
0: awesome
1: so i'm very and i'm a member of naris and i'm a voting member and uh you know I, and i still have goals sure and and uh you know i've since i you know i stopped producing in the in the 90s i used to produce in the 80s and 90s and i i uh you know wanted to just focus on other stuff and then I, I released two solo records, uh, 2004 and 2010 and the 2010 one kind of got me into a major production mode. And so right now I'm like, I'm, I'm writing and co-writing a, it'll be for myself and B, it'll also be for other, other situations. Okay. So, uh, that's kind of, kind of what's going on here.
0: Well, that's what I was going to ask. What's, uh, what's next for you? What's on the horizon?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, I start bet, bet, you know right out of the gates. I got four days of bet, and then I start the Oscars on Monday, and that's mm-hmm. a solid seven days. And in between that, I've I've got two people that're trying to fit me in on Oscar week, and I don't think it's going to happen. Not going to work. One is a motion picture, and another one is this uh, South of the Border thing. After that, I uh, I am going on the road uh, for a second with uh, David Foster we're going to go down to Kuala Lumpur and mm-hmm. do a uh, do a gig with him and with David is and uh, he's just so remarkable uh, as a songwriter and we bring artists with us so it's kind of like a cavalcade stars thing awesome and he you know we've done uh, two DVDs of him so if any of you kids have not seen that it's look for uh, David Foster and Friends there was one and two and everybody is on the stuff Nice. It's just it was quite amazing. Well, I'll actually
0: list the, all this stuff and all the links and everything how to get in touch with you on the show notes on the website so people can find this stuff easily. Cool. And
1: then you know I, I do a thing with uh, Muhammad Ali every year. It's called uh, uh, Celebrity Fight Night, uh, and it's uh, a benefit for Parkinson's disease. So we've been doing. I've been the drummer for that for about seventeen years. Awesome. And then i got another thing for the McDonald's Corporation coming up, and I believe Sting is going to be one of our guests, Hmm. and and that'll be fun. And uh, let's see, what else am I doing? I'm actually going back to Berkeley in June, mid-June, to perform uh, at the Performance Center. We are opening up the new wing on Mass Avenue. Uh, They've built a new seven-story building. And a new recording, new Quincy Jones recording studio. So I'm going to go back and uh, be one of the artists. I think everybody, they've picked. I mean, like, uh, I think um, Abe Senior's coming back. Um, um, God, who else? um, Schofield's coming back, and they're. Hello. It'd be kind of nice to get back, go back to Boston, and it won't be snowing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the big thing. Yeah, man. If I if I was living out where you are, I think I would just consider the East Coast closed until further notice.
1: <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I listen. I had I uh I was in that uh, storm of '77 in Boston. Yeah. You know where the where the new roads were 12 feet high, you know, and, <sighs> and you had to walk and get you know a quart of milk. You know, and
0: that was all you got. So right. I remember those days. That's absolutely not. It's it's weird because you know, with uh, last year with with Hurricane Sandy, it was it was weird. It was you know the whole place was desolate and there was no electricity and and it was crazy. And then after the snowstorm, it kind of felt the same way the, you know the town was abandoned. There's all this you know snow and people don't have power and it's ridiculous.
1: Well, it gives chances either either that more rehearsal time to make babies. Yep. Or or just to practice, you know. There you go. So, so I was going to plug one other thing that came from last year. Absolutely. I was very fortunate. I, I, you know, I've never clouded the uh, market with drum videos and all that crap.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: But I was uh, the great Don Lombardi from Drum Channel, and mm-hmm. I did a DVD, at that one DVD of the year last year. Actually, awesome. up until this year. So that's it's called Time Machine. So if the kids, it's basically it covers everything from basics to advanced and uh, multiple sets. And we've got great guest stars on there. And uh, I think it's a kind of a necessity for the drummers to have. So uh, check it out.
0: Awesome. Like I said, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll definitely put the, all this stuff in the show notes so they can, so people can find all this stuff. Okay, cool. And if you had one piece of imparting advice that you would give to, to drummers out there, what would it be?
1: Well, well, you know what? Um, I always, you know, I mean, since I'm a father of three and I'm a grandfather of three now, those damn Robinsons.
0: <laughs> uh, well, congratulations.
1: Thank you. Um, you know, I'd like to just say, you know, try to stay clean
0: mm-hmm.
1: in this world. There's a, you know, a lot of a lot of influences that uh, will will take you off your path. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, remember your, your father, your grandfather, and his path and how he got there and, and, and you know, follow in those footsteps. But... But I always say that do one better than your father. Right. You know, always make one better decision than your father. And, and keep passing that down to your kids, and I think you'll do fine.
0: That's, that's great advice. I think that's a good place to stop as well.
1: All right. Well, listen, uh, Nick, I appreciate it. If there's anything you need from me, obviously you've got my website, right? Mm-hmm. And, you've, and uh, Facebook.
0: Yep, I have all that.
1: And, uh, you know, people can get in touch with me through the, through the website if they want. Or, and that comes right to the Mac. So.
0: Okay. Yeah, I'll link all that stuff up.
1: Okay. And, and let me add a couple of other credits, which we didn't talk about real quick. Absolutely. There's a, there's a girl named Kimbra uh, on Warner Brothers that's going to be coming out this year. She's from New Zealand, and she was the girl that sang with Gautier. Oh, okay. Uh, and she's kind of a wild, young uh, thing. And uh, I did about six tunes with her, and then... There's another girl from Sweden, really, really good-looking girl named Snow, S-N-O-H, and uh, kind of dance-oriented stuff, so that's going to be coming out. And then, of course, uh, Cassidy's record uh, Mm -hmm. is is coming out now, and uh, that should uh, keep people busy for a while.
0: Awesome. I'm writing all this stuff down right now. Cool. Well, John, thank you so much. I truly appreciate you taking some time to, to chat with us today. I know you're extremely busy, and uh, we definitely appreciate the time and the knowledge that you shared.
1: Thank you very much, Nick. Uh, you know, Send me a, a link to this, and I can obviously post it. Uh, have Malcolm uh, put it up on the website.
0: That would be great. All right, buddy. Keep in touch. John, thanks again. All right. See you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Wow. So uh, there you have it, the incredible John Robinson. You can check him out at John Jr. Robinson.com. Be sure to visit us drummersresource.com or facebook.com forward slash drummers resource. And if you want to get at me directly on Twitter, you can reach me at Nick underscore Ruffini. R-U-F-F-I-N-I. And if you could please leave a review or rate the podcast on iTunes. That would be greatly appreciated. And if you're digging what you're hearing Spread the word, people. You got some drummer friends out there. Let them know that that this thing's happening. And we got a bunch of more stuff coming for the site um, that I'll I'll be hipping you guys to soon. So until the next podcast, thank you so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Keep on drumming and, uh, you know, keep making music. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.